Well, uh, welcome again, everyone here today. Welcome everyone online. Uh, we're we are going to take another look at this story of uh, Mary and Martha and Jesus, uh, and what they called the anointing of Jesus with nard. Um, I'd pass it. I'd pass it around. I'll leave it up if you want to come and check it out. It's really strong. I mean, just like smelling a little bit of it, you can totally. Uh, it totally f wakes you up. Um, but, of course, this is that story where she goes, she takes, and, you know, she doesn't just pour it on him. She pours it on his feet and uh, then takes out all her hair and wipes it with her hair and all this perfume. And, of course, the cost of the perfume, it says it was a jar of perfume and that the jar was worth about equivalent of a year's salary. So uh, strategic planning, we just looked up what a year's salary in Marana is. And the statistics say that's $80,000. So um, imagine an $80,000 jar of perfume being dumped out at uh, uh, one time on one person, uh, uh, you know, on his feet. And even though, you know, just like instead of a whole jar, like this much would have been more than enough to probably fill up the whole room with smell. And she pours out this whole thing. It must have just been absolutely overwhelming in that house. And then to see Mary there, you know, washing his feet, um, you know, if your first thought is, what in the world is going on here? What is happening? Uh, but you, you realize as you dig into it that there's something far bigger going on than just uh, Mary making sure that Jesus' feet don't smell bad. Uh, which is why you got to go back and look at what anointing was. Uh, it's a really kind of low, I wouldn't say loaded, but it's a very rich symbol uh, in the Bible, in the Old Testament in particular, and it had different uses back in that time. Some of the different uses for uh, anointing were, uh, it was a, basically a cleaning thing, and you'd see this, even, I mean, that was, that was why America was discovered, is because people didn't take baths, right? They just kept putting perfume on. Uh, and the same thing was in Jesus' day. If, if you were a wealthy Roman, you'd get a bath. Your ordinary carpenter person on the street, they didn't get baths very often. And so you could usually walk around and you could smell people's social class. Because uh, the rich could keep pouring these perfumes on themselves to cover it up. And so anointing, it had, it had a cleaning function. It had a, a hygiene function. It also, interestingly, was what was used to crown kings. You know, they didn't, ancient Israel, they didn't actually put a crown on. What they did is they poured, they poured the perfumey oil over your head, just like they did with King David, uh, where it says, 1 Samuel 16 here, it says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the presence of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. So the prophet would pour the oil on your head, and that was how you would know who was chosen. And so it almost became like a phrase. And so you'll see it all over the Bible. The Lord's anointed, which is the Lord's chosen one, which is usually the king or the person who's going to come uh, and follow in the king. And of course, what does Messiah mean? But Messiah means the anointed one, right? Uh, and he's chosen. So uh, what else was it for? Uh, it was basically, it was also a process. Anointing was what you did for anybody who had been given a particular job by God. For example, uh, you could be anointed to be a prophet, uh, and you could be anointed to be a priest, and 
There was even like anointing rituals for the tools that the priests used and stuff. Um, and so the cleaning and the choosing by God, it all kind of came hand to hand symbolically. When God chose you, it was like your old self was cleaned off and you took on a new self. So David, for example, went from being uh, David, the guy who tended the fields, to being David the king. He went from David the shepherd to David the king. And as you know, when you become king, you can't go back to being a shepherd, right? You, your life doesn't go back to being normal. The oil, it kind of washes away the old person. And in, in a sense, then, there's sort of a death symbolism to it, right? The old self dies, the new self rises, um, and your old self uh, could be, you, could, you know, you could be the old self as the shepherd, the new one's the king, or you could be a prophet like Amos who gets anointed, and he goes from being the tree trimmer to Amos, the uh, uh, prophet who warns people about injustice. And so oil was used mixed with perfume uh, in one final way for burial, because it was the practice, particularly in Jesus's time, where they would take bodies and they'd put them in a tomb like they did with Jesus, and then you would leave the body there, you'd seal it up, and then you would come back after about a year when there was nothing but bones left, and then you put the bones in a box. But in the meanwhile, of course, it would smell very bad, especially if anybody came to see it. So this was a way of paying respects to those who had died, was to put the, cover the body in perfume. Uh, and so it was a way of preparing a body for burial. It kept things from smelling too bad. And so, of course, if you believed in the resurrection too, uh, like Jesus did, uh, it, was, it was essentially you're getting a new self, your old self dies, and you rise again with a new self when it returns. So it all kind of works together. Choosing, cleaning, uh, anointing, uh, dying, rebirth, all the symbolism is all packed in to this anointing stuff, uh, which is where we come to the story about uh, Jesus. Uh, and um, he's at the house of Mary and Martha. And you might remember Mary and Martha. They're the ones, the first time he goes, there's the whole bit about cleaning versus entertain being with Jesus. Um, they're also the ones whose brother Lazarus was the guy who spent three days in the grave. He was dead and Jesus raised Lazarus again. Uh, and so now Jesus is back at their house again and they've, had Je they've invited Jesus and the disciples over for dinner. And, um, you know, hey, I understand. I mean, you, you, you know, my sister died and you raised her from the dead. I, I'd have you over for dinner. I'd even, I, I'd even go and buy the fancy steak. I'd go buy one of those Kobe's, you know, that had been uh, with the special meat that had been massaged out in the field and and, and, you know, I, I'd throw you a barbecue and I wouldn't just give you a Budweiser. I'd get you one of those, like, froofy beers designed by the hipster downtown with the flannel shirt and the, you know, who, who locally sources his hemp and listens to KXCI. By the way, KXCI is a great radio station, right? It is. Um, support local radio. <laughs> and that, and, right? But that's what they did. They had Jesus over. Uh, and the disciples. And then after dinner, Mary goes and she takes this, this giant jar, and that's where she pours this $80,000 jar of perfume on Jesus' feet and gets down and washes her with it. And you know she, what she's doing, I'm sure, must have shocked everyone in the room because washing feet, normally, that's what the slaves and the servants do. That's like the worst job of them all. I mean, you know what your feet are like after walking in sandals in the dirt 
all day long, you know, it, it's, it's pretty gross. And that's why it was, it was just really servant's work. And so there she is, you know, down there with her feet. I mean, and she, she didn't use a towel. She could have afforded a towel. She's taking kind of the lowest position you could possibly do. And, you know, the image of it must have just been something else. You know, perfume everywhere, and then her hair, and just all the dirt's getting in her hair with all this perfume. And then you go, why'd she do it? Why'd she do it? Well, she did it because she loved Jesus. She was overwhelmed with gratitude for what he'd done for her and her brother. I mean, he saved her brother. This guy's a good friend. Right? Like, like I say, you saved my family member from death, I'll scrub a lot of stuff for you. I'll even, I'll scrub your toilet. I'll even scrub the cup holder in your car. <laughs> I'll have to get out one of those little brushes to detail the thing, right? I can never get that clean. Um, right? I'll, I'll, I'll scrub all sorts of stuff for you. I'll be so full of gratitude, I'd do pretty much anything you needed. And I wouldn't blink. And I wouldn't worry about the cost. You know? I mean, you can always, money, you can always figure that out later, right? You know? Things can be replaced. But people can't. And which is why we also get to one of these most, I think, misunderstood lines in the Bible. And it comes in the exchange between Jesus and Judas. Right? So Judas... Judas sees Mary pouring all this expensive perfume on Jesus' feet, and then he goes and he, he, he gets all upset. Well, you could have you sold that. You why are you wasting all that? You could have sold it and given the money to the poor. And, you know, yeah, I guess technically he's right. You know, she could have done that, I suppose. Uh, it would have fed a bunch of poor people, I don't know for how long, but it, it would have it done that. But in a sense, Judas is kind of missing the whole point of it, right? He's missing the moment. He's not getting what's happening here, you know? Someone has her brother back from the dead and wants to show her gratitude. So, and she's so filled with love, she goes and pours out, literally pours it all out on him to show how much he means, and she splurges. I mean, wouldn't you? They brought your brother back from the dead. Wouldn't you do that? And that's when Jesus snaps back at Judas with that line where he says, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you. You do not always have me. Mary knew that Jesus was going to die someday. And in preparation, she went out and she bought the perfume, the $80,000 jar of perfume, so she could prepare his body. I, I go, man, that is a hard, that's a hardcore friend. I mean, who really wants to face planning for their friend's death? Especially a 30-year-old healthy friend, right? Who wants to come to terms with that fact that your friend is, like this, is going to die and, and, and who, you know, and to have the kind of peace of mind to go and buy that stuff in advance you know, maybe Mary thought it would be a little while longer, but she seems to grasp what Judas does not, which is that Jesus' death is coming soon. And how did she know? Well, in essence, Jesus hasn't even really gone into Jerusalem yet and started the fight. Bethany, where they were, is like five miles out of town. Jesus hasn't yet offended all the priests and all the Romans in one day. But somehow she knows where this is headed, and she knows what's going to happen to him, so she decides to take all the oil and use it now, before he's gone, to show him 
how much he loves him and to prepare him for death. Which makes you think that she doesn't think Jesus is even going to get the proper burial. Because usually criminals were just, the way the Romans did is they killed you and then they just threw you in the garbage dump. Just to get a little more indignity in there. So she gets that Jesus is going to die. She gets that his days are numbered. She gets that it won't be a clean and proper death. She gets that time is running out for him. And so what does she do? She prepares him for it. But you also have to wonder, does she understand who Jesus really is? Does she see him as, as the king, as the Messiah? Is, does she think she's doing kind of what Samuel did? Didn't pour it over his head. I guess I can't read her mind. But it's a weird situation. As most of the time, most of the time when we know someone is going to die soon, it's usually not someone who's young, that relatively young and healthy. You know, usually we die in a hospital, a hospital or hospice or something, and it's a chronic condition, and we kind of know it's coming. Um, or, right, it's a total accident, and we don't see it coming at all. And we're not prepared at all. But, you know, how often is it that, you know, you send someone off who's healthy to die? War, maybe, you know? But, of course, they could come back. You don't know. But that's about the closest I could think of, you know? But you still aren't, you know? But if this was me, and I had this really good friend who'd saved my brother's life, and I knew he was going to die, I would throw a party. And I would throw a big one. And I, I yeah, like I say, I'd get the good steaks. I'd... I'd kill the bull myself if I had a ranch and a bull and I knew how to do that. I'd, I'd, I'd cut the wood for the fire. I'd hire the best band. I'd spend whatever to have a great party. And I'd worry about the budget later. Because time is precious. And money can be replaced. And things can be fixed. But people, when they're gone, they're gone. They're worth more than the bit of money that it costs to say goodbye. And that's what Jesus is trying to tell Judas. You know, he's saying, look, I'm not going to be here much longer. This isn't going to end well. She's trying to show her love and her gratitude. And all you can do is try to put a wet blanket on it. You're missing the point. When I'm gone, spend all the money you want on the poor later. Go, go, go down to the shelter, Judas. Go do that later. But don't ruin her show of gratitude and her paying her dying respects. Because we all know this isn't about the poor. It's about Judas either being clueless or else he's so uncomfortable with what the symbolism and realizing what it means. He's so uncomfortable with this idea of Jesus dying that trying to stop what Mary's doing is a way of sort of, a sort of a denial mechanism. That he doesn't want to accept Mary's grieving ritual because it makes that loss so real and so unavoidable Jesus isn't looking at Judas and saying, you'll always have the poor with you, because what he really means is, don't spend any taxes on them. That isn't what Jesus is saying. He isn't saying, don't try to solve poverty, because it's always going to be here. He's talking about, he's saying that in this particular situation, at this time, in this moment, what matters is her love and my death and God's plan. And if we don't allow ourselves in life to have those moments when we let time stand still, when we stop obsessing so much about the budget, 
when we, we, we don't worry as much about the details and we let ourselves celebrate with our loved ones, if we don't do that, we don't let ourselves live. A life without gratitude, without friendship, you know, is missing something. It's an incomplete life. But a life in the moment, a life lived in the moment with Jesus with you, that's worth everything. Amen.